God bless you. It's great to be here today, everybody, and we're in for a real treat. Uh, so we're in a series on the parables, and uh, tonight, today, the words are being brought to us by Matt. Matt's, our, Matt's a youth pastor at New Life. He oversees senior high and junior high. He's, done a, he's doing an amazing job, and uh, so I want to give him a hand here as he comes and brings us the word today. Come on, Matt. that song? Anybody? Just let me see your hand if you know this song. This song was the anthem to my childhood. Every day I would come home from school, couldn't wait to get in front of the TV, and I would put on Mr. Rogers. And I loved that his show would begin every week with a song, basically asking everyone watching to be his neighbor. There was no judgment. There were no qualifiers. It was literally just, if you can hear the sound of my voice, I want you to be my neighbor. I want to welcome you in. And I loved that his show would start. He'd come in, he'd take off his blazer. He'd put on probably the most beautiful cardigan I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) He would do this thing where he'd flip his shoes in the air and change them. And he just got comfortable. And he invited you to do the same thing. This afternoon, I want to invite you to, well, keep your shoes on. But let's get comfortable and let's talk about what it is that God means when he says that we are to love our neighbors because that, that idea is one that is very, very near and dear and close to the heart of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for bringing us here. Thank you, God, that you are here. Thank you for drawing us close to you. I pray now, Lord, that as we look to your word this afternoon, that you just reveal something to us, God, that we need. That we need to go on, that we need to to do in order to, to, to love our neighbors better and to be the kind of people that you've called us to be. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody says together, nice and loud, amen, amen, amen. Recently, about four weeks ago, I have a new neighbor. I got married. Um, And it's true what they say. Marriage really does help you learn to love somebody on a completely different level. I mean, it tests you. It stretches you. It points out the things that you would like to just kind of keep hidden behind a veil. I'm learning how to love my neighbor in a way that, I mean, like... Sometimes I can be a real jerk, and I didn't know it until I got married. So, but I love her. She's beautiful. She's not here anymore. She was here for the first two services. Her name is Natalie. When you see her around the church, just tell her congratulations and hello and introduce yourself. We'd love that. But our message this morning comes out of Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers have them. If you just raise your hand, they'll bring you one, and you can follow along. You can also follow along with me on the screens or on your phone. We believe in the Bible app. It's a great thing. Luke 10, 25, here's what the word of God says. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. 
You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead, just laying there. It's terrible. A priest happened to be going down the road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Another translation says he was filled with compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Jesus is standing someplace teaching. There's probably a crowd of people around him listening to whatever it is that he's talking about. When all of a sudden, what usually happened when you read the, the, the gospel accounts, somebody stood up who thought they knew better. His goal was to test Jesus. His goal was to make him look bad by asking a question. And if Jesus answered the question the wrong way, the guy would have won the argument, if you will. He's basically trying to pick a fight with Jesus in this moment. He wants to discredit him while also making himself look good. I can identify with that because when I was a kid in school, I was always looking to test my teachers. I always wanted to let them know that I believed I was smarter than they were. It was important to me that they know that I believed I was smarter than they were. So I, was, I always had a wise crack, a dumb joke, or some kind of something to try to make them look bad, and it usually didn't go well for me. This conversation is about to not go well for this guy as well, but not in the way that you or I potentially would handle it. Jesus hears this man's question, and he knows what he's after. He knows that he's only there to test Jesus. He's not looking to increase his knowledge. He's not looking to gain some wisdom. He's looking to make himself look good in the eyes of whoever may be watching. And his question is, what should I do to inherit eternal life? His question is about his own activity. He wants to know, how should I perform in order to have eternal life? What's the, the list of stuff I have to do in order to earn favor with God? It's not really all that different of a question than the one we ask or the attitude that we portray, is it? Maybe this week I'll go to church three times because I need something from God today. Maybe I'll pray a few extra times or I'll give a little bit more because I'm looking to gain something in return. What can I do to earn a little bit more favor with God today? See, this man, while he is, he's well-read and he's knowledgeable, he understands what the law says, but he seems to be missing out on the spirit of the law. He's missing out on what the law should lead him to do, the way that it should lead him to act. And Jesus, because he's just 
he knows these things. He understands. He can probably even have a sense of what this, where this man's heart is. He doesn't take the bait. It would have been easy for him to just answer the question himself. Instead, the teacher who is now, who's being tested, turns the question around and says, well, why don't you tell me? You studied the law your whole life. What does the law say? How do you read it? Jesus points this man back to the thing that he's built his entire life on. You're a legal expert. Tell me what the law says. What does it require of you? But more than just telling me what it says, tell me how you understand it. Tell me how you read it. And the lawyer's answer is, I mean, it's incredible. He takes two Old Testament passages and he mashes them together in a way that completely summarizes the entirety of the law. He says in verse 27, the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, that was brilliant. Great answer. Go and do exactly that. But this guy, is not, he's not happy with that because that's not what he's looking for. Because in his mind, Jesus, I've already been doing that my whole life. I've already been doing that my whole life. And now he needs Jesus to, he's trying to justify himself. He's trying to have Jesus affirm the way that he's lived his entire life. And so he has another question. And his question is, his question is, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Now understand this, the Jewish people had a, the Jewish people had an idea of what the word neighbor meant. See, to them, neighbor was exclusive to the people in the nation of Israel. If you were a fellow Israelite, you were my neighbor, we can do life together, we can be cool, and we're okay. Anybody outside of that bubble, though, it was okay for them to not love you. It was okay for them to ignore you and exclude you from religious activity, from being part of the temple, from being part of life with them together. But Jesus had a very different definition of what the word neighbor means. See, this man's question wasn't actually, who is my neighbor? What he really wanted to know is, Jesus, who is it okay for me to ignore? Who is it okay for me not to love? Because that's really what I'm concerned about. And Jesus responds in the way he does with a story. Now keep in mind that when Jesus tells a story, when he tells a parable, this is not a retelling of factual events. He's telling a story in order to make a point. These people didn't most likely exist. These are not real people. He's just saying, hey, like I want to make a point here. So he goes into this great story about three people. There's a man who's been beaten. He's traveling on the road from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He fall, he's fallen among robbers. He's left half dead on the side of the road. The first two people to pass him are a priest and a Levite. Now, think about this for a second. This lawyer has spent his entire life studying the law of Moses. And the first two people in Jesus' story are a priest and a Levite. Two people who are probably a lot like him. He can identify with these people. He knows their lives because he's trying to live the exact same kind of life that they are. But they pass by and Jesus gives us no reason for it. It's like he didn't do enough character development for us to know where they were going or what they were up to. We don't know what their thoughts are. We don't know their names. We just know their occupation. And we know that they did whatever they could on that road to avoid that person in need. They went out of their way. They said they, said they went to the other side of the road in order to pass him by. 
We could speculate all day on why they did that. We can make excuses for them, but it's not important. That's why Jesus doesn't give us the reason for it. It's not the point of the story. Jesus moves on to the climax of his story. And if this lawyer is anything like me, in his mind, he's trying to figure out where the story is going. He's trying to to determine before it's over what it's about. And it's easy to make this, to arrive at this conclusion that if I understand neighbor as any Israelite, any Jewish person, and a priest and a Levite walk by, the next person to walk by in your story, Jesus, is another Jewish person who's going to come to the aid. It's a regular Jewish person, not somebody who's part of the temple elite, and is going to come to the aid of this person laying on the side of the road. So it comes as a complete shock that the hero in Jesus' story, that the next two words out of his mouth are a Samaritan. Somebody say Samaritan. Samaritan. See, Jesus understood exactly what he was doing. He places this Samaritan in the middle of his story as the high point, as the hero of his story, because he understands that the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. There was nothing but bitterness between these two groups of people. They did whatever they could to stay away from one another to avoid conflict and issues. And when they did manage to come together, conflict was no problem. He knows, Jesus knows that this man is going to be completely wrecked by hearing that a Samaritan is the one that comes to the aid of a Jewish person laying on the ground in need. This is where Jesus begins to make his point. Remember, the question is, who is my neighbor? And Jesus points to a Samaritan as the hero. He paints this picture of not just like regular concern for a person in need. This guy, Jesus' story wasn't he walked by and he dropped some money on the ground and kept going. This Samaritan does, goes above and beyond what I believe I would certainly do in a situation like this. Like think about what he did. He's traveling along this road, a dangerous road, and he sees a stranger laying on the ground. He gets off of his animal and most likely tears his own clothing in order to make bandages. He pours oil and wine on the man's wounds in order to to clean them so that way he can kind of start to feel better. He picks him up and he puts him on his own donkey, which means that however long the journey was from that spot on the road to the inn, he had to walk. Then they get to the inn and he doesn't just say, here, I found this guy. When he wakes up, he'll pay you for his time here. He pays for what amounts to two months of stay for this man at this inn. Like this is, this is above and beyond. I mean, this is just like this beautiful picture of extravagant care. And Jesus, at the end of this story, asks a question. He says, who is the neighbor to the man Who fell among robbers? Who was a neighbor to the beaten man? And the lawyer knows the answer because you can't escape it. Jesus is basically not, he's not asking him for an interpretation. He's asking him in the story you just heard, who was the neighbor? And the man, the, the lawyer can't even bring his mouth to form the word Samaritan. He just says, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus' response is, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever read a story and the twist in it just completely caught you off guard? It's just like, I I thought one thing was going to happen and then something completely different came into the situation. I love when that happens. In my mind, that is a great story. That's exactly what this lawyer experienced. 
The fact that a, that a, that a, a Samaritan would be the, the central figure, it would have twisted his whole equilibrium and, and knocked him off balance to know that. See, this lawyer is a person who's extremely proud of his knowledge of the law and even his adherence to the letter of the law. The question he asks first and foremost is about earning eternal life. He wants to know about his activities, what he can do, the things he can check off to gain entrance into life of the kingdom. He's so concerned with justifying himself that he doesn't realize he has no love for God at all. See, I want to tell you today that it's impossible to really love God and not respond with a love for people. You can line up religiously perfect all you want to, but if your love for God does not overflow and spill over into loving people and caring for people, then you need to ask whether or not you actually have a love for God. I need to ask myself when I look in the mirror if my love for God that I claim with my mouth lines up in my actions when I come across people. See, this lawyer knows well that the law says the greatest and most important commandment is to love God with everything that you have. All of it. And he knows that, he knows that, we had, that, that should lead to, or part of the law is to love our neighbors as ourselves, but he had a limited understanding of what it means to be a neighbor. He was really more concerned with who his neighbor wasn't. He wanted to know who he could exclude, who he could write off, who he could ignore or pass by. And like, let's be honest, I don't think it's far off from the way we think sometimes, is it? See, how often do we forget that obedience to God means loving our neighbors? See, it's easy to love the people that that we like. The people who line up with us politically. You voted how I voted, we're friends. (laughs) You root for the same sports team that I root for? We can be friends. We can even go to a game together. Like, I'm a Mets fan. And if you're a Mets fan, I will talk to you. I won't say if you're another fan, but we'll leave them out of it. (laughs) The Democrats love the Democrats, and the Republicans love the Republicans. People who share ethnic backgrounds love, love the people who look just like them and speak their language. People who have the same musical taste gather together, and they go to concerts together. They have a good time. If we're honest, we even have a hard time loving other Christians who worship God different than we do. Yet according to Jesus' definition, they're all our neighbors. And Jesus puts a very, very high standard on loving people. John 13, 34, excuse me, yeah, John 13, 34 and 35 says this, a new command I give you, love one another. Somebody say love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you, everybody together, if you love one another. You can do better. Love one another. Come on. That's beautiful. I love it. The words of Jesus himself placing incredible importance on loving each other. In fact, let me submit to you this morning this truth. All of us are called to love any person who is made in the image of God. But you have to realize what that means. 
Every person that's ever walked the face of this earth that has breath in their lungs is made in the image of God. And so therefore, we are called to love every person. We are called to treat every person made in the image of God as a neighbor. And yet every person everywhere is made in the image of God. We are not allowed to exclude anyone from being a neighbor. We can't write people off because they don't line up with us. Because we disagree with them fundamentally on issues going on in the world. We are called to love each other and be a neighbor. But you can't do it in your own strength. You won't do it in your own strength or your own ability. See, in the Samaritan, we find someone that demonstrates exactly what this looks like. He looks at the traveler and he doesn't evaluate him based on whether or not, well, you know, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan, so I'm going to keep going. He doesn't see and doesn't make sure that his qualifications are right to be treated as a neighbor. He sees a human being in need and he's moved with compassion to act on his behalf. This is what God is calling us to. Not to be passive in, in, our, in, our, in our concern for people. Man, that person's in a really bad situation, but I'm going to keep going over here. God is calling us to be, to be a friend and neighbor to all of those people that we encounter. This man doesn't think about the history between Jews and Samaritans. He's not checking his worthiness to be a neighbor. He's moved with compassion to act. I love the way that Dr. King said it. He said that the priest and the Levite asked a question and it was, if I help this man, what will happen to me? The Samaritan sees him and says, if I don't help this man, what will happen to him? It's a complete shift in focus from I'm only thinking about how, what this is going to cost me and the way that it's going to affect me to I need to open up myself and my life to care for other people, even if it costs me something. See, what Jesus is pointing out to this guy is, to this lawyer is, that unless you do this perfectly, according to the law, according to the law, you can never inherit eternal life. If you don't do this exactly the way this Samaritan is doing it, you cannot inherit eternal life according to the law. He needs something else besides the law, and the thing that he needs, and the thing that we need is Jesus. See, when I hear this story, I always like to think of myself as, I could be the Samaritan. I could definitely be the Samaritan. I can enter into somebody else's situation. I can step, excuse me, step into somebody else's pain and I can help them. I can give of myself to step into their world. I'm willing to go the extra mile and come to the aid of anyone that I meet. Or I'll treat everybody in a kind and loving way. But that's not always the case. See, the reality for me is that I often find myself consumed with my own life. In too much of a hurry, moving at too quick of a pace to think about the ways that I can enter into somebody else's world. About the ways that, the ways that I can be a friend and neighbor to the people around me. Regardless of whether or not I know them. Regardless of their whatever affiliations they have. Regardless of their thoughts and feelings about the world. I had a, a moment a few months back. I was at Roosevelt Field Mall. I was shopping with my wife. 
Um, she was in the store that I didn't want to go to, so I was hanging out with all the other men whose wives go into stores they don't want to go to. Um, just, I was literally just standing there, minding my business, and these three guys approach me, and they ask me a question about Sabbath. They're like, hey, do you, like, do you practice the Sabbath? I was like, I know Sabbath. We can talk Sabbath. Stop, rest, delight, and contemplate. Let's talk about the Sabbath. I was excited until they didn't agree with me. And a friendly conversation quickly turned into a little bit of a heated argument. I'm not talking about one of those arguments where you know, you're arguing with a person and people from far away don't know that, that you're necessarily arguing. Like I'm talking about one of those conversations where there's hands flailing all over the place and like you're clapping while you're talking and your eyebrows are all raised. Like you're getting, and people can tell that you're seething with anger. I was so mad at these guys because there are certain things that people will do that will really irritate me. They'll push my buttons. And if you do it, there are moments when I'm not so good at restraining myself. The guy asked me a question, and rather than me answering it calmly, I tried to answer it, and he cut me off. The moment he cut me off, the conversation ended and the argument began. I called, I called all three of them irritating Christians. It was, it was not a good moment for me at all. You see, I had an opportunity right there, regardless of our disagreement, I had an opportunity to act in a loving way. I had an opportunity to act in a way that suggested that even if we don't agree, you're still my neighbor. But instead, I was consumed with my own anger. I was consumed with my need to be correct. And I was consumed with my need to not only for me to be right, but for them to be wrong. I held on to that much firmer than the, than the call of Jesus on my life to be a neighbor. To be a neighbor. See, before I, can, before I can identify with the Samaritan, I have to understand that I have to identify with the broken man. That there are things in my own life that God needs access to, that, that the Samaritan Jesus himself needs to heal. And that's the part that we have to understand and recognize. Jesus comes along and he steps out of heaven into our situation here. And he bandages our wounds and he treats them and cleans them with the blood that he shed on the cross. And he restores us and makes us whole. He doesn't just say, all right, get up. I'm going to help you stand and then I'm going to send you on your way. Whatever happens, happens. Jesus gives us everything we need so that we can have the abundant life that he's promised for those who believe in him. If that's not good news, I don't know what is. And so somebody please say amen. amen. See, Jesus provides us with himself as the way to eternal life. He's enough. We're not bound by some religious system that requires perfection. It's because of his love for us that we can live. And it's in response to his love that we can view others as a neighbor. It's because of his power that we can tap into that we can view other people as a neighbor. On my own, impossible. I will argue with people in the mall all day, every day about everything if I'm trying to do it in my own strength and in my own power. But it's only as I stop and ask God to give me the power I need, the grace I need, and the eyes to see people the way that he does that I can be successful in viewing others as my neighbor. 
I'm going to call the worship team forward. See, the lawyer has heard the word from Jesus. The word was to go and do likewise. His entire worldview has been changed. It's been shattered by Jesus. His understanding of who his neighbor is has been challenged. He's heard this command, but we don't know anything about him beyond this moment. We don't know if he actually carries this with him. And in the same way today, in the same way, we've all heard the word. See, the truth for us is that our love for God isn't measured in the Christian things that we do. It's measured in the way that we love people. It's measured in how well we love people. How willing we are to show mercy, not with our words, but with our actions. In light of that, my question for you today is, who do you need to be a neighbor to? Who do you need to show mercy towards? And I'm not talking about the people that are easy to love. We're all really good at showing mercy and love to the people that we like, aren't we? I'm talking about those really irritating, annoying people that get under your skin. I'm talking about the people who aggravate and infuriate you. You're sitting next to some of those people. You live with some of those people. You're married to some of those people. Are you willing to show mercy and kindness and love to those people in tense moments when it's hard? The only way we'll ever do it is by, is by tapping into the power of God to do it. There are people that don't agree with your political views. Are you willing to love those people? Are you willing to treat those people as a neighbor? We need Jesus. We need God to empower us, to give us a measure of grace in order to go and do likewise. See, this Samaritan, despite the differences between himself and the man laying on the ground, was, he was moved to act with compassion. In other words, there was something in his heart that allowed him to make that move towards somebody else. It's an issue of the heart. It's an issue of the heart, and the only way that our hearts change is through prayer. The only way that our hearts change is by taking a moment to think of the people that drive you craziest, to think of the people that push all of your buttons, the people that you don't love, the people that you even hate, and think about that person, and instead of cursing them, bless them in prayer. It may not change everything, but I believe that through prayer, by praying for those people, by choosing to bless them, it'll begin to change your heart towards them. It'll give you the grace to be a neighbor to somebody who it's hard to be that for. I mean, think about what it could look like if we all took up this call from Jesus to go and be a neighbor. It doesn't have to be something complex or complicated or what the Samaritan did. It can be something as simple as asking someone you see all the time that you don't know, hey, can I pray for you? What's going on? Just give me one thing in your life that I can pray for. I dare you to go to Starbucks this week or a place that you normally go to every time and ask someone that you encounter every day two things. What is your name and how can I pray for you this week? And then when you go back again later in the week, hey, so-and-so, how's that thing going that I was praying for you about? I'm still praying for you. 
You don't need to have a theological conversation. You don't need to try to convert them to Jesus in order to pray for them. You just simply have to say, hey, you know what? You're my neighbor and I am for you. That's it. The next time you're standing online for lunch, figure out who's behind you. Pay for their lunch. If you're going to do that, tell me when and where and I will be behind you. Share a kind word with a stranger. Just say something nice, like, hey, have a good day. You don't need to stop and have a conversation. Baby steps. Maybe there's an apology that you have to make. Maybe you have to free somebody by forgiving them for something they did. your life is it difficult to love see the word for you today is to be a neighbor to that person as well ask God for the grace to love those people ask God for the wisdom that you need to to be neighborly to be winsome for the people around you in your life to love them and to see them the way that he would This afternoon, you've all heard the word to go and do likewise. What will you do with what Jesus has said? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you loved us enough to act with compassion on our behalf. To give of yourself on the cross. Father, I pray that we are so motivated by your love to be a neighbor in the way that you've called us. God, would you grant us the grace to love people well that are difficult to love? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let me invite the prayer teams uh, to come forward to uh, your right and the folks doing the Lord's Supper as well. Yeah, tough message. I, I, you know, I, I, I always say, you know, I'd be such a great Christian if it wasn't for all these people around me. You know, it's just... And, you know, the uniqueness of Jesus and is he, he made, it was inseparable for him loving and praising God and loving people. And, and the challenge is it's easy to love God and praise Him and the song we just sang is so beautiful and the worship team just carries us and Matt inspired us it's just really hard then to have to love people that we can't stand or at least bother us or drive us crazy and so I, I just I want us to close by just just stopping and we're going to cry out for grace because for Jesus, he says, you know, you've heard it was said, love your enemies and hate, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. You see, God is the great lover of enemies. It says in Romans, while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. It's the nature of God to love the unlovable. And so when Jesus stepped on earth, you see him healing lepers and the blind and the outcasts and the Samaritans and telling parables like this because 
he's, he's making the point that these Pharisees are religious people that, do you understand, the way you know you've got God in your heart, you're actually moving towards the unlovable. That you, you, you pass that Samaritan, as Matt read that passage, he pitied the guy on the side of the road. Something rose up inside of him of called compassion and pity and, and love. And so you see Jesus saying to the Pharisees, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. <coughs> Jesus makes the point that the whole summary of the whole Bible is mercy. So let me ask you, and this is the great challenge of the Christian life. We know how we're growing. We know that we're maturing when we have greater love for people. That's a tough measurement. And you know we're mature when we love those we consider enemies. And, I, and, and so this, when you, when you hear something like this passage, I hope it breaks you like it breaks me. Because I, I know I can't live this. I mean, this is impossible. And so it drives us back to the first words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, we come as helpless beggars to God to change us and give us the power to love the unlovable, to love those who hurt us and wound us. And, and we're not going to get into all the complexities of how to love and skills that we need. That's another, that's a class. But I'm talking here about our hearts where I may not have love, but I want to, God. I need you to touch me. So have you all got an, an enemy or someone who drives you crazy in your mind right now? I want you to hold them before God. Say, oh God, what do I do? My heart, I don't have it in me. That's the right place to be. Because then we call out to God and say, I need you. Do you understand? We're going to leave this place. What makes a Christian is Jesus has loved us, his love is inside of me, and now there's something now in me towards people. I'm not going to live toward myself anymore. But my life's going to be marked by this, this love that moves out to the world. That's, that's a miracle, everybody. That's the resurrected Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit moving in us. So we need God to love like this. So I'm, we're going to close. I'm going to invite you to open up your hands like this towards heaven. Because do you understand, like, I, we, have to, we have to pray like this every day. God, help me. With humans, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. <clears throat> he can make us this kind of lover. So receive a blessing as we close. And I want to invite you to come for prayer, for healing, for deliverance, for removal of hatred and oppression. And let us lay hands on you for that. So receive a blessing from God. So may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine on you and God looks at you and he loves you. And may the Lord open up the, the container of your soul right now that the love of Jesus might be poured into you to overflowing. May the Holy Spirit overpower you. May his fire fall on you. May his fire warm your heart towards those who've hurt you. And may God give you love, his love towards the unlovable. And may as you leave this place today, may Jesus rest upon you. And may something come out of you that would come from heaven itself. So be blessed by Jesus. 
now. And may that blessing then flow in you and then through you and out of you to those whom you will touch this week. And I pray this in the name of Jesus and everybody said, amen. All right, everybody, thank you. God bless you.